Welcome to Season 2 of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. The truth in the American church at this point is we have embraced a programmatic approach to accumulating cultural Christians, if I can paint a broad brush there, as opposed to a Jesus style of biblical disciple making. If I can use primary secondary calling, we're ignoring the primary calling in our churches of biblical disciple making Jesus way, opting instead for a programmatic accumulation that relies on our secondary callings for what purpose? To build bigger and bigger churches. A nuclear engineer, an executive pastor, and an entrepreneurial leader all walk into a church coffee bar. Sounds like a great setup, right? Well, what if those three people were all one person? Better yet, what if that person, a thinker, a shepherd, and a strategist were living 100% of their sweet spot calling 100% of the time? Even more, what if that one person, still the same person, had dedicated his life to making sure churches are not simply growing, but truly multiplying. My guest in this episode is Todd Wilson, founder and CEO of Exponential. You've probably seen one of those names, Todd Wilson or Exponential, on books or resources. Many of you have even gathered at an Exponential event. I know I'm in Orlando just about every spring, but you probably don't know Exponential's backstory or even the forward story and their passion for building and releasing level five churches that multiply. See, it's not just about adding more people or even planting other churches. Todd's evident passion is to build churches who are truly multiplying themselves. And it all comes back to your sweet spot as a leader and as a church. If you're not living in your sweet spot, you don't even know where to start. Then it's hard to multiply what you cannot articulate. This is a conversation about effectiveness, intentionality, and real biblical disciple-making. So lean in and listen up to My Ministry Breakthrough with Todd Wilson, founder and CEO of Exponential. Where are you sitting right now? Just give me an approximation of your location. I am in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. at my house. At your house. So home office there. Uh, When did you move to D.C.? How long have you been there? Uh, we've been here on and off for uh, 33 years now. We uh, uh, spent about six years up in Maine when I was in uh, the Navy and Department of Energy, and now uh, I guess that'd mean 27 years here in DC. Great. Well, we'll talk to us. I know you're you're the the founder of Exponential. You're the leader of Exponential. What's the title you use most often there? Uh, whatever's needed at the given time. <laughs> so you, you can say CEO, president, founder, what, whatever yeah. uh, title works at a given time. So. so give us a little snapshot of that movement from the United States Navy, Department of Energy to founding Exponential. Tell us a little bit of your story there. Yeah, sure. I, uh, I actually never had a dream to be or wanted to be in full-time ministry. I, uh, Uh, I'm one of those rare people that at the age of 12 or 13 kind of knew what I wanted to do in life. I 
uh, was sitting in the back of chemistry class and watching a teacher draw pictures of atoms on the chalkboard and, and uh, went home that day and said, I want to be a nuclear physicist. And uh, uh, within a year of that, uh, my parents were very affirming of, I, I would say, more of the engineering side of me, you know, okay. all the way back to age two or three, I would take things apart and put them back together. And uh, there was a day where uh, I was required to come home and do uh, chores before I could play with my friends. And uh, my dad had put in new hedge around the yard. And my job was to water all these hedge before I could go play with neighbor kids. So I uh, put I, I basically did an irrigation system where I could turn on the hose and the hose would water the plants while I was off playing with, uh, with friends. And so that started the affirmation of, no, you don't need to be a physicist. You need to be an engineer. Right. And right. Uh, so I combined the two together, nuclear physicist, engineer. I, I knew by the age of 13 or 14, I wanted to be a nuclear engineer. And College kind of was in the way at that point. I, I didn't want to be a lifetime college person. I wanted to get the college degree and get out and change the world uh, sort of thing. So that was the roots of the engineering uh, part of things. I uh, uh, got out of college. My wife and I dated through college. And uh, the, the uh, week after graduation, we got married. And right at the same time, I was uh, commissioned into the Navy as an officer in the nuclear Navy. Uh, so two significant events at the same time. Uh, a few years later, we became Christians. Uh, that started kind of the journey, you know, more towards the full-time vocational ministry. But uh, through my 20s and into the early 30s, I was... Um, I, I, I was what you would say successful in the marketplace. I mean, I was promoting more quickly than people ought to promote and was in the Navy itself. In the Navy. Yeah. Uh, it, I was in a joint program, Admiral Rickover, the founder of the nuclear Navy. They, it's both the, the Navy and the department of energy. Okay. Um, and so I, I spent several years in the Navy, then switched over to the department of energy. You wouldn't have known the difference from one day to the next. It was right, the same right. job just with two different hats. And so by the time I was 30, 32, I was uh, up at uh, one of our shipyards, kind of overseeing one of our shipyards, a lot of people, big industrial activity. And uh, I started what you would call an early halftime experience, sort of midlife crisis thing was early. Quarter life Uh, crisis. I had about a two-year wrestling match. I'm not a very charismatic person, but I had in that two years, an encounter with God where he literally spoke to me about Hmm. coming into full-time ministry. I mean, it was a fairly profound calling thing. So I took the step to jump into ministry feeling like, I mean, just imagine at the point I jumped into ministry, here's what I thought. I had a sense of total peace that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And at the same time, we assumed that our kids would no longer be able to be in private school, that we would lose our house within a year or two, that we would probably have bankruptcy, uh, you know, all those things on one side, the scorecard. And on top of it, this is like a dead-ended career path. Yeah, you were taking so, a vow of poverty in some ways or a vow of, you know, hey, this is, you know, we're going to surrender everything and just, just have Jesus and our, each other, right? Right. And so there's, you know, as you know, there's power in that. And, and in reality, you know, we won't go into all the details on this, but God just provided in miraculous ways at that point. And what ended up happening, 
was uh, I did go into ministry as the executive pastor at New Life Christian Church. Uh, most people don't know. It's a, you, Brett Andrews, the lead pastor. Most people haven't ever heard of him. Uh, New Life's been involved in 280-some church plants at this point, hmm. uh, founding church of Exponential, and yet it sits in the background kind of thing. And to this day, I'm, I'm still on staff at, Expon- uh, at New Life. I'm a missionary to church planting out of the local church, even though I get, you know, my day job is running multiple different nonprofits, including Exponential. And so uh, what happened in that first couple of years as an executive pastor, we were a couple of year old church doing our first church plant. We were planted to be a church planting church. Okay. And we had done one church plant in the first three years. And uh, the goal was to be a church planting church that would be in multiple church plants a year. So I latched. Give us years. a quick. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Todd, give us a, a quick. You said we were planted to be a church planting church. Give us just a thumbnail snapshot at that time for you guys as to what the difference is. Like what, what's the difference between just a church plant and a church that's planted to be a church planting church at that time? Yeah. It, it, well, it's funny that you even ask if it, at the point in time, Brett Andrews, who was talking to me for a couple of years about coming from the marketplace into ministry. And I would say, I don't have a, I don't have a Bible college degree. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Like what I'm, and he's like, we're going to be a church planting church. And I would say to him, well, what does that mean? And he would say, I don't know exactly what it means, but we're going to be a church planting church. And I would say, well, how do you do that? And he would say, I don't know how we're going to do it. That's part of why I want you to come into ministry to help us figure out how we're going to do that. So I would tell you at that time, it was as simple as instead of thinking of we're going to be one church that never reproduces, right? A church planting church becomes an incubator for becomes a, you know, it, it, it's, starting multiple churches or an ongoing series of churches sort of thing. At New Life, the church that I'm still on staff with, we one of the ministries that or things launched was a thing called Passion for Planting. Right. Which is where project management services and other things were. So Passion for Planting continues to be sort of the parachurch arm of our church for church planting. And then Exponential kind of took on the other things I was working on. And then since then, there's, you know, been a series of other things, a ministry called discipleship.org, which in the discipleship space does what Exponential does in the, in the uh, multiplication space. So there, there's been a handful more ministries that we've got another ministry called Multipliers that Birth, discipleship.org, a ministry called Made for More. There's a family of ministries that have been birthed, yeah. all of which connect, though, to church multiplication. So let's go back, get, build that bridge now. I don't know if you've done this. I'm sure you have as an engineer. Looking back at the, the time with the Nuclear Navy, uh, Department of Energy, and then where you sit today, yeah. you know, how, how are you seeing that season of your life really connect to serving to help multiply churches today through right. Exponential? Right. So uh, I need to kind of connect a couple of dots if it's all right at this point on to make yeah. it make a little bit more sense. Um, I've, I've had a, you know, in the life planning process where you have sort of turning points and life right. gates and, you know, significant points, clearly the spiritual conversion to become a Christian is a life gate experience. That's a, you know, change in direction on the road. 
Um, for me, that two-year wrestling match to go into full-time ministry, that's a life-gate experience. It's a change in direction, significant. Now, what's important is I have no clarity at that point. That's a life-gate. It's a change in career path without clarity, which really opened the door to a season of journey of discovery, if that makes sense. So yeah. here's what happened. Bob Buford and I, I ended up with a 10 plus year relationship until he died in a mentoring relationship with him. And here's the profound thing that happened you know, to try to answer your question. Bob wanted me, we were so compatible. He wanted me to come to work with him full time. And I was so happy with what I was doing at the church and exponential. I didn't want to do that. And so here's what happened. Bob says to me early in our relationship, uh, he says, here's what I want. Come to work with me 20% of your time. And he said to me, I want you to be 100% in your sweet spot for the 20% of the time that you work with me. Hmm. Brian, I want you to imagine if somebody offered you a job where you're 100% in your sweet spot, okay? So here's what happened. I have this immediate emotion of, yes, like I'm ready to yeah, jump up yeah. and cheer. Like, yeah, And I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to have to like do travel reimbursements and I'm not going to have to do all this, <laughs> like 100% in my sweet spot. So I'm like, yes. And then immediately, this is the responsibility part of my strength finders. Immediately, I'm like, oh, like how would I know? Like, right. how would you even hold me accountable in that 20% of my time to being 100% in my sweet spot? And that led to a third emotion immediately, which was, ugh, I can't, like, why in the world am I getting so excited about spending 20% of my time in my sweet spot? Like, what's that all about? Like, I'm little, my spirit's jumping in the positive with the idea that I'm going to be in my sweet spot for 20% of my time. That literally was another LifeGate experience for me. Yeah. It put me on a journey to saying, hey, I, I'm not going to live life only 10% in my sweet spot or yeah. 5% of my sweet spot. I am like, at that point, I had already decided that retirement wasn't scriptural. Right. And I'm going to, God willing, if I'm healthy, going to work till I die. And if I'm going to do that, man, I want to be making the biggest impact and I want to be in my sweet spot. So, 100% of the time, right? 100% 100 of my time in my sweet spot. Okay. And so that now's where the geeky engineer kicks in. So I'm like, well, what the heck does it mean? Like, I'm not a student of calling or anything at this point. Okay. Like, and I couldn't even at this point articulate calling to you. So I'm like, I got to go after understanding what would it even mean to be in the sweet spot of calling? Well, here's again, geeky engineer. People don't realize there are thousands of sweet spots in nature. They're everywhere. The room that you're sitting in right now has an acoustic sweet spot. If you had right. glasses, the lenses have an, a, a, a sweet Focal spot. Focal point, right? Focal point. Yep. If you're a golfer, the, the, the club has a sweet spot. If you're a baseball player, the bat has a sweet spot. You know, oh, not a, the way. What's yeah. that? That's why I'm not a golfer, by the way, because I <laughs> never could find that sweet spot, right? Or, or my clubs just didn't have them. There you uh, go. Yeah. So yeah. here's what's fun. There's thousands. God made the world with sweet spots. They're mm-hmm. everywhere. You can't go anywhere without them. And so 
if you start asking the question, okay, what are the common elements of all sweet spots? Like if you were yeah. to say from a gun scope to a baseball bat, like what are right, the common right. elements? And here's the deal. Every sweet spot God's created has three common things. There is a design, mm-hmm. there's a purpose, and there's a position. Design, purpose, and position. Now get this. What are the three most often ask question of men and women throughout the ages. Who am I created to be? That's a design question. Right. What am I made to do? That's a purpose question. And where the heck am I supposed to do it? That's a position question. So if you just take those three things, design, purpose, position, and answer those three questions, who am I created to be? What am I made to do? Where am I supposed to do it? If you can answer those three questions in an integrated way, You've found your sweet spot of calling. I love that. And, and I, think, I think that's so critical because as you mentioned, even yourself being in ministry, Todd, without calling, my mind immediately went to, I wonder how many pastors, church leaders today, maybe even 10, 20, 30, 40 years into ministry are still struggling with that actual, okay, but what is my calling? Like I've got a ministry job. Uh, but do I have a vocational calling? I, I, I mean, for sake of, I don't want to sound negative here, but he, here's the reality, Brian. Over 90% of people in vocational ministry don't know what their calling is. Hmm. Why is that? Um, he, he, let me use my own example to explain why. So um, I knew at age 13, th- think about it, a nuclear engineer. Yeah. That's not who I'm created to be, that's a doing thing. We condition people in life. Think about how we raise our kids. I have two kids. One's like the smartest person in the world. So we got them into science fairs and da, da, da. My other one is a musician. So we got them voice lessons and guitar lessons and the different things. We start conditioning our kids from the time they're born to focus on doing. Yeah not on being. We skip the being. Then look what happens. We get them in school. School doesn't focus on being. It focuses on doing. We send them off to college and we say, we're spending a whole lot of money. You better get this thing right. You better get good at something. And look what happens. They get through their college degree. And what is the first question they wrestle with? Where am I going to get a job? Yeah. So life cultures and conditions people on the doing and the going part, not on the being part. Mm. So get this, um, my unique calling can be condensed down to the word envisaging. Envisaging is to create an image or a picture of a future possibility with a strategy to get there. That's what I do. In what the, I mean, the core of what I do, whether it's helping new churches to envisage the future or it's doing life planning with people. I am made to help people and organizations create images and pictures of future possibility. Now watch this. What did I want to be before I was get, went home and proclaimed I wanted to be a nuclear engineer? I wanted to be an architect. Now that's like really humorous because I can't draw that well. <laughs> all right. So like why in the world was I naturally drawn to wanting to be an architect? Now, all of a sudden, a chemistry teacher can draw a picture 
of a neutron with protons with electron. They draw this picture of an atom on the board, and right. it changes my career path. Just take those two things, architect and what he was doing that day. Look what that is. An architect envisages things for clients. What does an architect yeah. do? They create an image or a picture of a future possibility. Look what that teacher did, that yeah. seventh grade chemistry teacher did. He drew a picture of something that he had never seen. Yeah. And I am mesmerized. How can this guy draw a picture of something he's never seen? What, what I got to all the way probably to the age of 40 before I'm realizing, oh my goodness, like I wasn't made to be a nuclear engineer. In the core of my being, the ingredients that are there, all the way through life, I'm drawn to this creating an image or a, I've got what I made to be is someone that helps people create images or pictures. So to answer your question, why are there so many people that don't really understand the sweet spot of their calling? It's because we have created a process in life that starts with kids from the time they can talk. We got to get people conditioned. They got to make a living. They got to be able to, we got to get them doing something. Yeah. And I would suggest to you that the entire issue of midlife, go back to my midlife crisis, yeah, yeah. midlife crisis. If you really want to articulate what midlife crisis is, people have spent their whole life on the doing and the going part and not focused on the being part. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're realizing, I don't really know who I am. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know. We don't know each other that well, but you know, I have an architecture degree and I practiced oh, no, for I five years before, oh, before going to ministry. And so it is, it is three-dimensional problem solving. God transitioned me to, you know, spiritual uh, problem solving first in the local church and now for the local church uh, in the work that I do. So I, I resonate fully with what you're saying there, but I got to wonder if I'm a pastor listening right now or a church leader listening right now, and you've hit all those buttons, right? You've said, you know, this is the sweet spot and the calling and some of those things and being, not doing, but I'm trapped in this system, right? I'm there. Give, give me a, give me a, throw a rope down to me. If I'm that pastor listening, Todd, throw a rope yeah, down yeah, to yeah. me. I, you know, I know the book, I know your book more, right? I know, you know, that's, that's a rope for sure. And, and I feel you articulating, you know, the concepts in there, but just on, on a, man. Yeah. I, I, here's what I would suggest is we work. You know, what do we need to do? Yeah. We're, we're conditioned in as, as Americans, we, we want to be able to take the quick pill. We want the quick yeah. solution. Yeah. And the first thing I got to say is there's not a quick, there's, I've, I'm convinced I'll spend the rest of my life learning more and more about my calling. I have a whole lot more clarity right now than I had a year ago and more clarity a year ago than I had 10 years ago. So the first thing people have to do is commit to a journey. It's, it's a journey of discovery and we have to treat ourselves kind of in a mystery. We've got to be the investigator. And our, our life is the laboratory that we're investigating. Every day, we can be intentional to learn a little bit more. So here's, and here's specifically what we've got to press into. If the core of our problem right now is the difference between being and doing, here's the, here's the example I would give you on what we need to focus on. If I tell you that on my kitchen counter right now is some flour, some water, some sugar, some chocolate chips, and a dash of salt. Those are the ingredients on the counter. And I say to you, Brian, what am, what am I doing with those ingredients? 
you you would you, you're probably going to say you're making chocolate chip cookies. Heck yeah. Yes. What's that? Heck yeah. And guess what? Those ingredients can be used for hundreds of other things. They literally can be used for hundreds of other things. What we've got to do is go back to looking more at the ingredients that God has built into our DNA to say, rather than just assuming the way that our family, our culture, our journey, our school, our church has put those ingredients together for us and kind of mandated the packaging, we've got to go back and unpack the packaging and look at, am I really putting these in, do I understand the ingredients? Do I understand the parts? And am I really putting them together in a way that brings me to life, that brings the passion, the burden, mm. the, the things to life? So um, I wish there was a pill you could take for that. I wish there was a book you could read for that. I wish yeah. there was a process you could just do in a day to get there. But we've got to see ourselves as mystery investigators. There's a mystery embedded in our life. God's already put all, the good news is all the chocolate chips, the sugar, the flour, the salt, it's all there. The question is, are we going to look at it in a fresh way and discover what is there and how the integration of those things bring us to life. Um, I, think, I think that's so important. And, and so, you know, sometimes the pace of ministry works against that. Sometimes just, you know, kind of not carving out time to be intentional there, Todd. And so I would hope that a pastor listening right now would be challenged to slow down a little bit, maybe to carve out some time, maybe to be in, begin that process. Let's jump forward to, to this same thinking from the individual to the organization. Because I know uh, for Exponential, you guys are passionate about churches reproducing. You guys almost had kind of that breakthrough moment when you started looking to see how many churches are actually reproducing in our, in our culture, in our world today. And so I, I think there's that same thinking of not just the individual sweet spot, what are we here to do, but really thinking about the organization and the church in that way even even down to the outreach 100 you know reproducing right. churches list give 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 the listeners the pastors you know how does this thinking apply to the local church now yeah well our, our you know our mission at exponential we've historically we're 15 years old um, if you were to just survey people most people would say oh they're about church planting and multiplication they're they're right. about that um, we kind of had a an aha moment a few years ago, about five years ago. And Dave Ferguson and I, who co-lead Exponential, we were having a conversation and um, sort of this entrepreneurial thing, Brian, like there was a little bit of been there, done that. We'd been yeah. at it for 10 years and I was wrestling a little bit. I, I couldn't articulate what exactly I wanted to be doing, but Dave Ferguson asked me this question. He said, Todd, what would we need to be doing that you'd want to spend the rest of your life doing it? Hmm. And even though I couldn't tell you what I did want to be doing, I immediately said to Dave, I don't know exactly what I do want to be doing, but I can tell you what I don't want to be doing the rest of my life. And I said, what I don't want to do is just keep helping a bunch of churches get bigger. I don't want to just right. keep helping big churches get bigger or small churches get bigger. I, I want to be part of like a multiplication movement of thing. We don't have movements in America. I want to see multiplication really happening. And so 
I, I know that sounds really simple, but if you even if you go back to the idea of what's a sweet spot, that causes you to immediately say, well, what does it mean to have multiplication happening? Like, what's that even mean? And what am I multiplying, right? And what am I multiplying? That's exactly right. Do we even want to multiply yeah. what we're already what we're already producing? So that created in a really good way uh, a bunch of churn and a bunch of us getting more focused on you know what the future looks like for us. So here's here's how it translates. Um, and I can link this back to the calling part. Like um, in personal calling, church historians, I, I had the benefit of being coached by Oz Guinness, who wrote the book, The Call, when I was yeah. writing my book more. And I want you to imagine Oz and I sit down the first time when I'm telling him that I'm feeling called to write this book on calling. And Oz looked across the table in his British accent and said, Todd, tell me you're not writing another self-centered, narcissistic, self-help book to help people feel better about themselves. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oz, I just am feeling called to write a book. Like, <laughs> holy cow. Like, well, you know, maybe. no, I don't want to, I don't want to write a narcissistic self-help book. And right. I'm like, tell me what you're talking about. And he said, well, you know, church historians, there's, there's primary or general calling that mm-hmm. our primary, our general calling is all Christians everywhere all the time. And if I can articulate that for you, there's two ways you can say that. that what, what's the primary calling we all have? If you want to put it in discipleship terms using the be, do, go, the who we're created to be, what we're made to do, we're all called to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are. So even if, if we feel called to go halfway around the world to dig water wells somewhere, we still have to not lose sight of the primary reason we're there is to be a disciple who makes disciples where we are. Right. Or if you wanted to articulate it in, we're called to be children of God who honor him wherever we are kind of thing. So if you just take those two, general calling or primary calling, everybody, everywhere, unique calling or secondary calling are the things we've been talking. Like for me, it's envisaging opportunity. Right. It's like, what's my unique contribution but I, the reason primary and secondary, we still have to always remember that secondary callings, the unique gifting we have, we want to make it the primary thing usually. We want satisfaction and joy and da, 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 da. But we have to keep remembering the reason God's given us the secondary unique calling is to play our role in the primary calling. So if I can link this to church multiplication now, the primary purpose of the church or should be the core purpose of the church, is disciple-making. Right. The truth in the American church at this point is we have embraced a programmatic approach to accumulating cultural Christians, if I can paint a broad brush there, as opposed to a Jesus style of biblical disciple-making. If I can use primary-secondary calling, we're ignoring the primary calling in our churches of biblical disciple-making Jesus way. opting instead for a programmatic accumulation that relies on our secondary callings for what purpose? To build bigger and bigger churches. So those secondary callings of worship style, of teachings, I mean, all those things, we've elevated that above the other. That's right. If I can simply say what we've done 
is where Jesus gave us a model for three years with 12 leaders. The way he's changing the world is through one-on-one disciple-making or small group disciple-making relationally. We've replaced that in our churches with a programmatic approach. And I'm not saying programs are bad. I'm saying we, if the primary calling is relational disciple-making, and our secondary are all these gifts and the unique mosaic God's given us, what we've done is lost sight that all those secondary things are for the primary purpose. We've actually elevated the secondary things to be the main thing. So right now, the, the, operate, the average nominal operating system in the U.S. church, how do we add disciples? Right. We add them programmatically. We have put an operating system in that's elevated secondary to be the primary. So if I can link this back to church multiplication right now, the first thing we realized at Exponential is we can't get where we need to be on our mission to see church multiplication happening if the church doesn't get back to Jesus' style of relational disciple-making as the core thing in the church. Now, it, if I'll just geek out one more time on the engineering side of this. So let's just briefly talk about what's the difference between addition reproduction, and multiplication. So I'll give you actually five. There's subtraction. If I say to you, Brian, something's subtracting, right? you can picture in your mind the graph of something going down with time. right? If I then say it's plateaued, it's stuck and plateaued, you see the graph that it's kind of going plateaued. If I say it's adding and growing, you see a line that's going up. It gets a little bit more fuzzy when I say, okay, what's the mathematical, what does reproducing look like, and what does multiplying look like? Right. Multiplying is this accelerated up curve, so we can grab on to multiplication. It's this accelerated up curve. The really confusing one is reproduction. What does the graph of reproduction look like? And here's why it's confusing, okay? Just bear with me as I say that it's the most important concept we got to get in multiplication. So here's the deal. Um, Not all addition is reproduction. And let me tell you what I mean by that. I can take a pencil and put one pencil on the table and I can take a second pencil that I, with external effort, bring a second pencil and put it on the table and now I have two pencils. I have added one plus one is two. I did not reproduce the first pencil. All I did was added another pencil on. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. The corollary, though, is all reproduction adds. Mm -hmm. If I have a pencil that somehow I could put on the table, and like a human egg that's been fertilized, somehow that pencil could reproduce itself into two. Break it in half and sharpen it it broken in. If somehow on its own, without external action, it could reproduce into two. Now I have reproduction. Let's just pause on that for a minute. So what did Jesus give us as the method of, we see an an addition-based method in the New Testament. And they they cooperated and God added to their numbers daily. So addition is the deal. But what model did Jesus give us for addition? And get this, he could have chosen for three years to go do big stadium revival events 
and drawn the most people in the world to do preaching every Sunday in revival events and could have, he could have added that way. Yeah. But what he did was give us a model of reproduction, a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple. He gave us a simple form of addition rooted in reproduction. Now, what have we done with that? We've shifted it to a programmatic approach. And here's my question. Think about all the good things of a program, a marketing campaign, a great outreach event, the best Sunday morning worship, the best Sunday school, like do all the best programming you can for a minute. And here's my question for you. What program in the history of the world has ever reproduced itself on its own? Programs do not reproduce. Programs can add, but they take extra. It's like the pencil. I got to keep putting, I've got to do external effort to keep putting more pencils on. We have an entire, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to sound negative, but think about what the entire church consulting industry has done. It tailors to the programmatic approach of how do we, because here's what happens. How do we get more room? How do we, how do how do we, we get more out, room? Yeah, how do more we get services? more money? How do we get more? How do we get more? Yeah, yeah. And it's because when you have a programmatic form of addition, you will always hit the next plateau. Right. Programs will always hit a plateau. And you've got to figure out the strategy. And guess what? What's the strategy? It's a programmatic strategy right. to break the programmatic barrier. Right. Or so, the program has to be bigger, better, badder. You know, different. You know, there's that. It, it's a it's an endless cycle. And so, what I hear you articulating is that level four, yeah, search for you guys, right? Churches that are reproducing, right? Give us the shift from reproducing to multiplying. Yeah. So how here's you- how here's how simple it is, and we we see this biblically uh, with Paul to Timothy. Okay, so multiplication, if we call that level five, let's take to, for the listeners. Level one would be subtraction, right? It's going down with time. Level two is plateaued and stuck. Level three is it's adding and growing. Level three, by the way, is what we have defined as the normative success in the U.S. church. You want to get on the biggest, fastest growing church list at level three. That's healthy. Level three is healthy. That's the lists everybody wants to be on. And by the way, this is all coming from exponential. This is this is what you guys have have built exponential right. around is moving churches through these levels, right? From level three, which is growing in kind of our cultural acceptance of health, right? To level four is now reproducing this idea of we reproduce ourselves out, and then here's the thing: with level five is multiplication. That's where you see movements. So if we think yeah. for a minute about a movement, multiplication, think a curve that's just increasingly going up and to the right. Here's the truth of multiplication. Multiplication is not something you do. Reproduction is something you do. Multiplication is not something you do. It is the outcome of reproduction four generations into the future. Mm -hmm. If you can reproduce four generations into the future, you have multiplication. Go back to the command to Noah and Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. Right. They could have chosen to be the father of everybody, one big family that add, 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 bigger and bigger. But that wasn't the model. The model was for the kids 
to reproduce and those kids to reproduce and those kids to reproduce. And as soon as you have healthy reproduction four generations into the future, you're seeing multiplication. Now, here's the kicker. In the U.S. church right now, um, our, our, we did a study with LifeWay earlier this year. So let me give you the, the stats. 93% of U.S. churches, 93% are not having kids. Only 7% are. Multiplying, so, you're saying? Well, no, I'm saying reproducing. Oh, even reproducing. Level Just four reproducing. churches. Level four churches. 93% are not reproducing. I want you to just think for a minute, what's the impact to the human population if 93% of adults didn't have kids? So we have 7% of churches are reproducing. Now here's the kicker. Of the churches that are reproducing, the 7% that are, the church plants that they're planting, 75% of the church plants that are being planted are not turning around and planting more churches. Only one in four church plants is planting churches. We have a double problem right now that's keeping us from multiplication. We don't have enough churches that are reproducing, and the kids that we are reproducing are cutting off the reproduction in the first generation. If you've got to get four generations in the future of reproduction to get multiplication, we're only having one out of four church plants that's even going one generation into the future. Why is that four generations, Todd? Why why four generations? Is that Second Timothy two two or is there something? Yeah, it would else be. I mean, there? I would biblically point to Second Timothy two two, but mathematically, it's also if you just want to stick purely to math. Yeah. If you just draw a picture on your page, start with one, and in the yeah. first generation two, in right. the second generation four, four, in the third generation eight, it, it, like. If you look at what that looks like, look at the curve yeah, yeah. that you're, it's, it's a multiplication curve if you're doing it as a curve kind of thing. So, so if I'm a pastor and this is resonating with me and I'm like, you know, we, we need to make this shift. You know, I, I know you guys right now, that what's really big is, is the, the church multiplication declaration. You guys are, are leading forward with that and, and really kind of creating a movement in and of, in and of yourself with that. Is that the best place to start? Give me, give me. The yeah, next step. I would definitely suggest what what we've done is, um, and I, I give them a lot of credit. Outreach Magazine for years has been doing their two big lists: the fastest growing, the biggest churches. They've been doing that for years. It's their biggest edition every year. It's the one everybody wants to open up and look at. What yeah. they've done this to year to find themselves, right? To find yeah. themselves or feel better about themselves. Uh, for churches, yeah, for the churches. Yeah, yeah. And and so this year, Outreach said to us, hey, we, we want to add a third category, reproducing churches. Mm. And so the distinction, what we've done differently is instead of the top 100 churches reproducing, our dream is to see a, a growing list that goes from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 mm. to 40,000. So yeah. We created a new uh, web presence, reproducingchurches.org. Yep. And the way that we're helping churches get into this reproduction and multiplication game is we've created this thing called the Multiplication Challenge. It's a simple three-step process that's free and literally takes 30 minutes. Step one, we have a, a multiplication declaration. It's It's like... You know, just read the declaration and do you agree with the declaration? 
Step two, we have a free online assessment that takes 20 minutes. Those five levels, one, two, three, four, five, in 20 minutes, you can get a score on what your church currently is on the five levels. Step three, share publicly in some form or fashion, whether it's just on social media or however you want to do it, that you're committed to the multiplication declaration and challenge to move forward. And then what we're going to be doing for the people who sign up, we'll just be pumping in lots of equipping resources and opportunities and things to, to help equip the journey. And then all the all of the events that are that exponential hosts through the year then come back around and support that, correct, Todd? We we come back to uh, the one days, the gatherings, uh, those all come back to this, let's be a multiplication right. movement. We, we, what we do, we're a nonprofit. So if you think about what the Chamber of Commerce is to business, the Chamber yeah. of Commerce doesn't compete with business. They advocate for it. Mm. That's what we do in the multiplication space. We're advocates for that. The first thing that has to happen, Brian, churches have to wrestle through their paradigm of success. We have embedded so deeply in the operating system of the church a formula for success, which is rooted in the wrong kind of addition. So what's got to happen is churches have to undo their paradigm and embrace a healthy paradigm. Almost all of our resources, whether it's our conferences and the main stage of conferences, whether it's the frameworks we put together, the online tools we put together, the multiplication challenge, everything we're doing is aiming to help people embrace the right paradigm and give them resources to move forward in the journey on a healthy paradigm. And that's a range of everything from free eBooks to conferences to one days to, you know, it, it's lots of different resource things. Todd, I see Yoda over your right shoulder as we're talking. And it <laughs> seems to me that when you think about the, the, the parallel between the role Yoda played in the life of Luke Skywalker as that guide, as that inspiration, as that one who is challenging and encouraging. Uh, I feel like you're a Yoda for church leaders right now when it comes to this reproducing multiplication, that you're walking alongside and being that voice, sometimes the voice they don't want to hear of, of saying, hey, listen, you can do it. Uh, this, is, this is where you are. Hey, as we wind up, I ask every podcast guest three questions. And I want to do that real quick. What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? Um, I, I bounce. I, mine isn't consistently the same thing every day, but I bounce between uh, just the continuous prayer thing, of pr- like not just setting aside times of prayer, but continuous yeah. prayer. And then yeah. I, I usually have some other rhythms. Like I'm in a rhythm right now where... I'm just trying to go through the New Testament multiple times where I, I just literally pick a book and I go through and what's the Holy Spirit saying? It, it's a fast read, not a slow read. Yeah. And then what I'm doing is I collect out of one book multiple passages and now what are those passages saying to me kind of thing. So it's great. Hey, if you could go back to your first year of ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Uh. Uh, well, we've talked about it today, this journey yeah. of calling. I think it is so important for leaders of all ages to see themselves as the mystery investigator with a mystery to be in, untapped. The idea that your calling is something that's a lifelong discernment. You don't like all of a sudden arrive and have it perfectly, but every day 
you've, you've got it. What did I learn about myself today? Hmm. I learned things from the negatives and the positive. Why was I so frustrated with that thing today? And it gives you insight into something about those raw ingredients that play into the calling. So I, if I could go back and start over myself, I would be so much, I wouldn't wait until that third phase of my journey to get serious about calling. Um, if you want to put it in terms of the sweet spot, that idea of who doesn't want to live 100% of the time in their sweet spot. So what is your sweet spot and discovering it? I'd have gotten a lot more serious about that earlier. I love that. And that's so important. Last question here, Todd, is there one book you consistently recommend or give as a gift? Um, if I, the book that by far I, I refer to the most probably is a book. It's a short book by Peter Drucker, the father of modern management. Um, the five most important questions an organization will ever ask. What's your core? Who's your customer? What do they value? How will you deliver it and how will you know? Um, I just find over and over with individual leaders in their ministries and ministries that I work with, uh, oftentimes we just don't have clarity on the most simple things. Um, I would suggest if personal calling is about clarity of our, you know, the dimensions of sweet spot, organizational clarity, like those, those core elements, like what is our core? You know, who's our customer? What do they value? How do we deliver it? And how will we know? Those are the kind of core clarity sorts of questions. And it's a really simple, short book. Yes. That's great. Todd Yoda Wilson, thanks for some time sharing breakthrough uh, for churches and, and individuals. Um, we just can't wait to see how God's going to use this time. Brian, thank you for taking the time. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to MyMinistryBreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.